Hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 312 of Sustainable Minimalists. It is getting chilly here in New England, for lack of a better word, chilly. (laughs) It's getting harder and harder to get out of my bed in the morning and get out from under my down comforter. We are one of those families that tries our darndest to not turn the heat on until November 1st, and some years we succeed, begrudgingly succeed, I should say, and some years we don't. But my point here is that for many of us, we are heading into the dormant season. Many of us will be turning on the heat soon if we haven't already, and so it seems to me that it is the perfect time to answer listener Rachel's question. Hi, Rachel. So Rachel wrote to me and Rachel said, I just listened to your podcast about waste. I was surprised to hear that energy consumption is so high here in America, but the problem is I don't know where the energy's going or which things I might be doing to use so much energy. Please share how energy gets used in the home, what your tips are for saving energy, and why do we as Americans use so much more than other countries? Thanks, Rachel. So you guessed it, we are talking about saving energy in the home today. And even as that comes out of my mouth, I must say, that sounds pretty boring. And if I was plugging into a podcast and the host said, oh, we're talking about saving energy, I'd be like, wah, wah, I'm not interested. Well, let me just say, I'm going to make it fun. We're talking about heat pumps. We're talking about community solar. You will learn something, and I promise you will have fun. To make it fun for everything we're talking about today, for the ways homes lose energy, I have four ways. For each of these four ways that homes lose energy, I'm offering you three suggestions. So I'm offering you a good, a better, and a best suggestion for what we can all do to waste less energy. As you're listening today, I'd love for you to challenge yourself to do one of the three for each of the four categories. So when you leave today, you have four action steps. Now, I should say really quick, Tier 2, we have two ad breaks today. It's a long show, jam-packed with information and fun, so two ad breaks. But let's first start today's show with the why. I always love starting with the why. Let's all get on board. Why should we care about our energy use? And how much more do Americans use than everybody else? Let's take electricity first. There are vast differences in electricity consumption across the world. There are maps, where world maps, where you can click on your country, see how much electricity your country uses. But the ratio between the U.S. and India, this is just one example, but the, that ratio is around 12. So that means that the average American consumes the same amount of energy in one month as the average Indian consumes in an entire year. The average British citizen consumes double that amount of electricity than the average Brazilian. So if you're looking at a map of electricity consumption around the world, there are, of course, countries that consume very little, so low that on the map there is no color to measure the amount of electricity that's used. But according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, in 2020, which is the most recent year for which data is available, The average annual electricity consumption for a U.S. resident was 10,715 kilowatt hours. So that's for a year. Or if you want to take that by month, the average is 893 kilowatt hours. The numbers are not important. 
here. I will say, though, that Louisiana tends to have the highest annual electricity consumption. And Hawaii, so listeners from Hawaii, pat yourselves on the back because you tend to come in at the lowest kilowatt hours per person at just over 6,000 kilowatt hours per person. I should say here too, America is not the highest electricity user in the world. That goes to Iceland. Iceland ranks highest. Norway is up there. Qatar is up there. But the U.S. is in the top 10 electricity consumers. All right, now let's talk about gasoline, which, of course, a fossil fuel. Americans, so each American tends to use 284 gigajoules per year. What on earth is a gigajoule? A gigajoule of energy is equal to eight gallons of gasoline. So 284 times eight gallons is equivalent to the average American using 2,272 gallons of gasoline per year. Okay, so the number is not what's important. What is important is how that number, 284 gigajoules, stacks up to other people in other countries. Now that number, 284 gigajoules, that is especially interesting to me personally, because first of all, it's super high. It's a very high number. And second of all, is because research has something to say about the relationship between energy consumption and quality of life. Now it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that There is a link between energy consumption and quality of life. Access to electricity is critical for providing medical services and powering modern economies. 2.6 billion people live without clean cooking fuel. So what does that mean? That means that around 4 million people die every single year around the world from conditions caused by indoor air pollution when they're trying to cook over a open fire, a flame. So yes, there is a link between energy consumption and quality of life. However, research finds that the benefits do plateau. Researchers from Stanford University measured when exactly those benefits do indeed plateau. Everything peaked and then began leveling off at or below 75 kilojoules a year. So what does that mean? That means that the peak, the plateau starts. So energy increases your quality of life until you are burning, until you are using 75 gigajoules a year. 75 gigajoules. Now, who is paying attention? What does the average American use per year? Yes, that's right. Americans use an average of a whopping 284 gigajoules of energy per year. So think about that. We only need to use, according to research, 75 gigajoules per year, but Americans on average are using 284 gigajoules per person per year. And the excess we're using does not contribute to a better quality of life. Now there's an equity problem here. If Americans used less energy, we would be contributing to a more equitable world. And that's because researchers also found that there's already enough energy to get everyone on the planet over that 75 gigajoules per year threshold, if it were shared equally. Now, even if you don't care about being equitable, and by the way, I'm guessing you do care because you, my listeners, are really kind and giving 
and altruistic people. But even for the sake of argument, if you don't care about equity, I'm guessing you still care, you will still care about energy waste. And that's because nobody that I know in my real life wants to throw their hard-earned money out the window. So let's now transition. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil, and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. ...to energy efficiency as per Rachel's question. How can we, number one, use less energy, because remember, we're using way more than we need to live happy and healthy lives, and number two, how can we reduce the chances that the energy we're consuming isn't wasted? We're going to get into that after our first sponsor break. And we are back before the break we were discussing, and I laid out so many big numbers to make the point that we Americans are using way more energy than we need, way more than the rest of the world comparatively. And so now we're on to the part of today's conversation where I am offering up four ways that you and I waste energy every single day within our homes. We're going to start by talking about holes. Area number one where we all waste energy is in our homes through our holes. That is right. Our homes have holes. (laughs) Another way to say this is to say that we lose energy through heating and cooling. The biggest area for heat loss in most homes are drafts within the walls, within the windows, around the cracks and doors, through the chimney, through the electrical sockets, you name it. Our homes have holes holes. And if you're saying to yourself, yeah, maybe, but those holes, like the crack around the door, (laughs) that's a small crack. Does that really matter? The answer is yes. Those gaps, those holes, those cracks, they really add up. Now, here's just one estimate to blow your mind. Just one single, one-eighth inch gap under a 36-inch wide door will leak as much hot air out as a 2.5-inch hole through a wall. So if it's winter where you live or are going to be winter and it's below freezing and there's snow on the ground, would you leave a 2.5-inch hole through your wall, so like a little peep hole for you to see outside? No, you would not, right? What a waste. What a waste of energy. So same with the one-eighth inch gap under a 36-inch door, a standard door. A little gap under a door adds up, is equivalent to a big fat 2.5-inch hole in your wall. 
Really like sit with that visual for a minute. Here's another stat to blow your mind. So outlets, so you know, outlets, electrical outlets, as well as recessed lightning in your ceiling. What are those, by the way? Recessed lighting holes and electrical outlet boxes. I just said it. They're holes cut into drywall. And they are significant sources for energy leaks. Now, here's the stat. If you have six electrical boxes on your ceiling, so think six recessed lighting holes, each with a one-eighth inch gap around them, That's the same as having a four-inch hole in your ceiling. So you can look up through the four-inch hole in your ceiling and see sky. Would you be okay with that? Because I sure as heck wouldn't. So my point here is that all these little holes add up. Now we're going to move on to the good, better, and best portion of our holes problem. We're reducing energy waste. If you want to do the good option, what are you going to do? Now, now I should say too, the good option on today's list of four, the good option I made on purpose to be perhaps the easiest, the quickest win. The You want to do something in 10 minutes or less-ish, you're going to choose the good option. So the good option today to reduce drafts in your home is to simply install blinds on your windows. When blinds or shades, you might call them, are properly installed, they are one of the simplest and also the most effective ways to save energy because they provide a barrier between your window and the exterior world. Now, there is a caveat here. If you're going to install blinds, you need to keep them closed all day. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people, the benefit of a window is to be able to see outside. But if you're installing blinds for the purposes of keeping heat or air-conditioned air inside, then you need to keep the blinds closed all day. So that would be the good action item. If you're thinking to yourself, no, I can do better, then here's the better option. Your better option is to plug up the leaky places in your homes. Now, how are you going to do that? How do you plug leaky places? You can caulk and seal, especially windows. This is popular around windows. It's a DIY option. You fill in the cracks in the framing that causes some of this heat loss. Caulking is simple. There is even, like if you don't want it there all the time, you think it's ugly, there are short-term sealants that you can peel off in the spring or summer. So let's say you just want to caulk for the winter and then peel it off, you can find that. You can do that. If you have a fireplace, remember that an open chimney can amount up to 70% of heat loss in a room. So make sure that flue is closed. Even with the flue closed, indoor air does escape outside. So there's something called a chimney balloon. You can purchase one. It's sounds it is exactly how it sounds. It's a balloon that floats up in your chimney and helps to Uh, minimize the size of the hole, even when your flue is closed. You can even make your own chimney balloon if you'd like. I've linked to that in the show notes. You are going to put draft excluders under doors. So what is a draft excluder? It's basically, I don't know, they come in different shapes, but it's like usually made of fabric. It's long, it's thin, it's stuffed with usually stuffing. You stick it under a door, and it helps to minimize the hole that is under doors. For those ceiling boxes, you're going to opt for fire blocking foam, or you're going to caulk them. And for electrical boxes in the walls, you can purchase box extenders to attach to the existing box, which will make it easier to seal. 
Basically, the better option here is to find the holes in your house and fill them. Okay, so that's better. And now the best option, if I am just blowing your mind right now and you're freaking out because you know your home has so many holes, the best option, by the way, today tends to be the most expensive, the most difficult to implement, but also reaps the biggest rewards. And so in this case, the best action item for you today is to replace your windows. If you have old drafty windows like I do, I live in a 1960s house. It was built in 1960. Some of the windows are newer, but the vast majority are original. And oh my goodness, are they leaky. The Energy Information Administration estimates that up to one third of the typical home's heat loss is from those windows and from those old doors. So replacing windows, I know it's not accessible to many of us. Again, (laughs) it's not accessible to me personally right now. But if you can do it, if you can replace your leaky windows, and especially if you've been meaning to do it, then the action item is to do it sooner rather than later. The problem in my view with windows is they don't visibly stop working necessarily. They don't break. It's not like when your stove or your dishwasher breaks, it's broken. You can't use it. (laughs) So with windows, we tend to keep them longer than perhaps we should. If you are like me and you tend to put off replacing them, but know they need to be replaced, go ahead. Your action item, your best action item is to replace them now. Biggest bang for your buck. Okay, so we're moving on to area number two where our homes tend to waste energy. And that, of course, is excessive and unnecessary electricity use. Now, you already know. It's just a quick reminder. You already know to unplug appliances when they're not in use, especially the big ones, right? Like if you don't use your dryer all that often, there's no need to keep it plugged in. If you're going away on vacation, You can unplug the big appliances that you're not using, the dehumidifiers, let's say. I unplug my treadmill when I'm not using it. Unplug the energy suckers. I will say for me personally, like I don't, you could be militant with this, right? You could unplug every light, every lamp in your home and only plug it in when you need it. But for me personally, the cost to benefit ratio doesn't really work out because then it's dark. I need the light. Then I'm shuffling around in a dark room trying to plug it into an outlet that I can't see. And so that doesn't make sense to me personally. But if it makes sense to you, go for it. Unplug everything when you're not using it. You already know to turn lights off in rooms when you're not in the rooms. You already know this because you're all very smart. You already know that when it comes time to replace the big appliances, you're going to choose ones that have, first of all, you're going to do your due diligence and you're not going to buy the first thing on the appliance store floor, but you are also going to choose the appliance that has that blue Energy Star rating logo. You already know all this. So when it comes to excessive and unnecessary electricity use, I have a good, a better, and a best that are none of those. The first is the good option, of course, the quick win, the easy to implement, small gains. We've talked about this before. It's to switch to LED bulbs. Get rid of the incandescents, get rid of the halogens. This will save significant energy 
So in a year, for every bulb you change to an LED, incandescent, you switch out with an LED, that's about a $7 savings per year. So if you replace seven incandescents, that's $70 a year in savings, okay? Plus, LEDs last 14 to 17 years longer on average. So it's really a quick win. If you're still using those halogen or incandescents, get rid of them, invest in the LEDs, you'll save money in the long run, and you will limit excessive electricity use. Now, the better option here is to turn down your water heater. We've talked about this before as well. The Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, estimates that you could shave between 4 and 22% off your annual energy bill by turning your water heater down. So most people have their water heater on at 140 degrees Fahrenheit. If you turn that down to 120 degrees Fahrenheit, not only will you not feel the difference, you won't know any difference. You won't feel like, oh, my water's not hot enough when you're showering. You will not feel that way. And trust me, I know because I love a long hot shower. It's one of my guilty pleasures in addition to wine, but you won't feel it. And you'll save between four and 22% off your energy bill each year. I should say here too, that going below 120 degrees Fahrenheit, first of all, this is as simple as going to your water heater and turning the dial on it down. This will take you 30 seconds. However, don't go below 120 degrees. I have had listeners reach out and I have seen on the interweb that the tank does need to be set at a high enough temperature to prevent bacteria growth. So my personal little tip to you, don't go below 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's the better option. And then the best option for you when we're reining in our excessive energy use is to consider solar. Okay, so again, the hardest, but also the biggest bang for your buck, consider solar. So everybody tends to think of solar as putting you know, the panels on your roof. That's not accessible for everybody. Maybe you don't own your own home. Maybe your home is too shaded. Maybe you can't afford it. Maybe your state doesn't have rebates. There's a lot of reasons why solar's not accessible. I suggest if you fall into any of those categories, you consider community solar. Now, what on earth, Stephanie, is community solar? You are blowing your mind. Well, it's a purchasing program into a solar project within your area. So if you're a community solar customer, you can either buy or lease a portion of the solar panels in the project, and then you'll receive an electric bill credit for electricity that's been generated by your panels in the panel farm, we should say. It would be just the same as if you had rooftop panels on your home. However, in this instance, the panels are at the solar panel farm. Community solar can be a great option for people who are, again, unable to put their own panels on their own roof, but you still reap the benefits. You're still switching to renewable energy. So check out, and I do have a resource in the show notes, check out that resource and more to see if community solar is an option in your location. Okay, we. this is such a long episode. We're going to take our second break, but when we come back, we are going to get into reasons three and four, why and where we're wasting energy. We're going to do that after our second and final, I promise it's the final, thanks for staying with me, second and final sponsor break. 
And we are back on today's show. We are discussing where, how, and why Americans, first of all, use so much energy and where we're wasting it. By the way, wasting energy, isn't that such an American thing? We are so wasteful. We're even wasting energy. We're reining that in today. So we're on to reason number three, or area number three, I should say, where we're wasting energy. But before we do that, let's quickly recap. Area number one where we're wasting energy is the holes in our home. And the second area where we are wasting energy is we are excessively and unnecessarily using too much electricity. Area number three, or way number three, I should say, is that our homes are either too hot in the winter or too cold in the summer. So before we get into our good, better, and best for this one, let's just talk about comfort. We tend to revere, we tend to revere comfort as number one, right? But I suggest we get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We do not need to heat our house to 75 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter every single day. We do not need to have an icebox home, a 62-degree home in the dead of summer. Your body will adjust. I promise, just simply turn the thermostat down, wear warmer clothes in the winter. So I'm talking two, three layers around your home. There is a difference between being comfortable and there is a difference between being wasteful. So right off the bat, let's put that there. Of course, if you have a health condition, if you're elderly or pregnant, this doesn't apply to you. But for the rest of us, ask yourself, does your house really need to be 75, 78 degrees in the winter or is that just a waste of energy? All right, so let's get on to our good, better, and best. If you are ready to rein in your home's temperature, my first suggestion for you is to heat your zone. Heat your zone. What does that mean? <laughs> heat your home by zone. So this is for those of us listening who have larger homes. If you live in a larger home, I am willing to bet that there are some rooms that do not need to be a comfortable temperature all day long. I'll use my own home as an example. The people who lived here before us updated and expanded the kitchen area. And so when they made the kitchen bigger, essentially, and added a basically a dining room on, they also created another heating zone. My family is really, like on a normal Monday through Friday, we are only in that kitchen area during dinner time. So does that kitchen need to be comfortable at a comfortable temperature all day long? No, it does not. It can be colder in the winter. And yes, I mean, there is a difference between it being frigid and pipes freezing and being comfortable. We found the space that works right for us, and I suggest you do the same. If you're not using certain rooms during the day, it makes sense to heat your home accordingly by zones. So that's my good option for you. Your better option is to program your thermostat. Now, first and foremost, if you do not have a programmable or smart thermostat yet, what are you waiting for? They are so easy to install. They are relatively cheap these days. My home has 
two Nest thermostats. My husband installed them in probably under five minutes. You can adjust the temperature when you're not home. Like there's just so many benefits. I will say the one drawback is that you need to have Wi-Fi to be able to access all of their functions, but that's a story for another day. So number one, get a smart thermostat. Number two, install it. And then here's the key. Here's the better action step. Program it. According to Energy Star, a smart thermostat, which will program itself to save even more energy, or you can program it yourself, can lower your heating and cooling bills by an average of 8% or $50 per year. So the Nest, I'm just talking about the Nest because that's what we have. The Nest knows when we're home and knows when we're not home. And it it's collected so much data on us. Again, either that's good or bad, but it has collected so much data on our habits that it just automatically adjusts the temperature to uh, make sense as to whether we're home or not. Related to this too is like night versus day, okay? So I'm the only one home during the day and I've learned that I can put on a wool sweater (laughs) and be pretty darn comfortable in a cooler home. At nighttime, so when we're all sleeping, I've said this before on the podcast and so many of you wrote to me and said I was crazy, but we wear pajamas to bed. We all have really warm comforters, multiple blankets on our bed. I am not exaggerating when I say, or I'm not lowballing, I should say, I'm not lowballing when I say that we keep the heat in our house at night in the winter at 58 degrees. Yes, 58, because we're bundled up under covers. My smart thermostat knows to start heating up the house about 45 minutes before we get out of bed because that's the data it has collected on us. So smart thermostat, that's your better option. Your best option is to consider the coveted heat pump. Now heat pumps have been getting so much attention lately, haven't they? Yes, they have. And that's because they are good for not only your wallet, but also for the world. There is no downside ladies and gentlemen, to a heat pump. It is the cheapest and most efficient way to both heat and cool your home. It doesn't matter where you live. They're better for the environment. And most experts even would go so far as to say that way they that they are one of the best ways for homeowners to reduce their carbon footprint. You will not even sacrifice comfort with a heat pump. So when I'm saying I sleep in a 58 degree house during the winter, you're saying to yourself, Stephanie, You're not so. You will not sacrifice your way of life. You will not sacrifice your comfort if you embrace a heat pump. There is literally no downside. Now, if you care about money, you can save nearly $1,000 a year compared to heating your home with oil. If you heat your home with electricity, electric heating, you'll save about $500 a year if you switch to a heat pump. And by the way, these numbers did not just pop into my head. They come from the U.S. Department of Energy. So take-home message is everybody agrees, heat pumps rock. Now, what on earth is a heat pump? (laughs) You're probably saying, okay, I'm on board, but what is a heat pump? I've heard it defined as a combination between a furnace and a central air conditioner. I've heard it defined as a two-way air conditioner. Basically, what a heat pump does 
is in the summertime, it works like an AC unit. It removes heat from the air inside and it pushes cool air back into the room. But in the winter, in the cooler months, they do the opposite. They draw heat energy from the air outside and then they move it into your home to warm things up. Again, the process is very efficient. You can put one watt of electricity into it to run the heat pump and you'll get four watts of heat out of it. Almost any homeowner can benefit from having a heat pump. And yes, they are more expensive. So if your boiler is about to break and you know you need to replace it, a heat pump is definitely going to be the more expensive option. So new boiler on one hand, whole home heat pump on the other hand, the heat pump is going to be more expensive. But there is good news. And that is there are countless ways that you can spread out the cost of the heat pump. You can get rebates, you can get energy credits. And when you add all of those rebates and energy credits up, it's not going to be much more than what you're already spending on energy right now. Now, in this week's show notes, I do have the database of state incentives for renewables and efficiency. It's a database. You type your state in and you can see what energy credits and rebates are out there for you right now. I live in Massachusetts, so I went to the Massachusetts website. Guess what? (laughs) In Massachusetts, if I install a whole house heat pump right now, like tomorrow, there's currently a $10,000 rebate on the table, which is going to pay for a gigantic chunk of it. I've also listed in this week's show notes some resources, some unbiased resources on how to pick the right heat pump for you. So take home message, heat pumps rock. If you want an A plus in today's class, install that heat pump. All right, and finally, we are on to the fourth and final way Americans waste energy. This is a quick one, and it's not for the home, but it has to do with our collective lifestyle, and that is we drive too much and we travel too far. Americans, our greatest contribution to global greenhouse gas emissions comes from transportation, mostly from our cars. So if you are really serious about reining in your energy waste, I've got a good, a better, and a best for you. The good option is to stay home more or stay close to home more. So think staycations. Think asking yourself, do I really need to get in my car to go do this errand or could I perhaps stay home and do without it? That would be the good option. Stay home more, stay close to home more. The better option is to rely on public transportation as your first thought. Public transportation as your first thought. Okay, so I have to be completely honest and say I'm really bad about this. Really bad. My first thought when I say that out loud is, number one, I live in a rural area. There is no public transportation. Up, oh, I guess I don't have to care. I guess, up, oh, it's not accessible to me. I don't have to worry about it. If that sounds like you... Think outside the box. Okay, so here's an example from my own life. This weekend, this coming weekend, my friend and I, we're going to New York City for the weekend, okay? Sounds really great. I could drive to a train station and we could take the train straight into Manhattan. It will take longer. It will be less convenient. We will not necessarily be as, quote unquote, comfortable than if we took my car, right? But public transportation in that instance is available to me. 
And I'm being honest by saying it's not my first thought. It's not what I'm dying to do. So for me, I'm taking my own advice and I am choosing the better option here. Public transportation is the way to go when you can do it. Finally, the best option. What is the best option? It's to do the good and better options all the time, yes, but it's also to fight for infrastructure improvements in your area. So if there's a proposal to create a new rapid transit bus line in your area, the best option, so the A plus for you is going to be you going to the meetings and you advocating for it. You're doing your part to make sure that passes. When existing infrastructure needs improvements, you are not going to groan and moan. You're going to enthusiastically vote for it, help finance it if you can. A great example here. So I live outside of Boston and two months ago, first of all, Boston's known for having a crumbling public transit system, especially our subway system, the T. And so Massachusetts tends to wait till the last minute to do critical repairs, I should say. And so finally, an entire line of the T had to be shut down for a month because it wasn't operating. It wasn't functioning. And the majority of people took that opportunity to bemoan the T, to curse the MBTA, to just throw their hands up and swear that public transportation is the worst. And yeah, I mean, to shut down an entire line for an entire month, not the greatest option. But instead of all of that, if you want the best option, you are going to become an vocal and avid supporter of public transportation. You're going to take it. You're going to encourage other people to do the same. You're going to vote for it until you have no breath left. So that's the best option. Listeners, this was a really long episode. So instead of recapping, we are going to just say hello and goodbye. Show notes have so many resources for you today as you seek to enact your good or better or best option. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 312. I will see you on Tuesday. If you, this is weird, but if you are going to BravoCon in New York City this weekend, If you're listening at release date and you're going to BravoCon this weekend, I want to meet you. Email me. Let me know you're going. And yes, BravoCon is like for people who watch Bravo. I will be there. I am so excited. Email me and take care.